If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. What is up, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast? I welcome you to episode 38 of Martian Makes Martial Arts. This week we will be previewing the UFC pay-per-view going down this Saturday night, UFC 230, headlined by Daniel Cormier versus Derek Lewis for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. This card will take place in Madison Square Garden in New York City. If you are tuning into the podcast to listen to the guest portion of the podcast with my man Gary, who came on to talk about the main card of UFC 230 and to talk of all things jiu-jitsu, then you can fast forward to the 23 minute and 45 second mark. It was great getting to talk to Gary, a really insightful uh, conversation we had. One of the uh, one of the two podcasts I've done in person where the person was, you know, sitting right next to me recording it. So it's actually pretty easy to have some good chemistry and get a good conversation going. So that, that might be a format I'd be uh, looking at exploring more of in the future. But for now, we are going to be talking about the prelims on the UFC 230 analyzing and predicting every single fight on the card uh, also giving some insight on the betting aspects of this card you know uh, all of the lines have been out for now or for a good bit now and uh, got a pretty good sense of uh, what's got some value on it so I will share my uh, my predictions of the fights and I will also share my uh, suggestions for the betting column so we're going to start things off in the heavyweight division we have Adam with short check who is 10 and 1 taking on Marcus Hogirio de Lima, who is 15-5-1. Now the betting aspect of this one, we have Marcus Hogirio opening up plus 260, Adam Wachorczak opening minus 320. The line has been bet down in Hogirio's favor. He is now a plus 185 underdog to check at minus 225. So a lot of action coming in on uh, Marcus Hojiro de Lima, and rightfully so, man. I think that that is the right play to make in this one. Uh, not only am I going to pick him to win, I, I fully encourage a bet on this gentleman. Uh, you know, he does have some, some mental lapses in the octagon. He does shoot for takedowns at the wrong times and, you know, maybe get submitted, which, which is going to be the way that he loses this fight if he does lose it. But I like the odds. I like his chances. I think that if this fight is, stays on the feet, then uh, Marcus Hojirio has a good chance at knocking out Adam Wachorczak. We saw Wachorczak ha- uh, have some trouble with Arjun Bueller on the feet in his last fight. He was losing that fight pretty decisively. And um, 
was also getting taken down before he got a submission off his back. So not really an offensive wrestler that can threaten um, Hojiri with a takedown, I imagine, and not really too good of a striker. So uh, this line is really confusing, and I'm going to pick uh, Hojiri to get the win, probably a knockout around the second round. Uh, next fight we have. In the 135 Bantamweight division, we have Brian Kelleher, who is 19-9, taking on Montel Jackson, who is 6-1. Now, the betting lines opened up in this one. Montel Jackson, minus 150. Brian Kelleher at plus 130. Now, looking over at five dimes, we have Montel Jackson, minus 135. Brian Kelleher, plus 115 so uh, a little bit of action coming in on uh, on kelleher's way uh this fight does have some two-way action it's going all over the place people betting both sides and uh rightfully so i think it's a close matchup in this one it's uh both of these guys are uh you know uh, their best aspects are striking they're both pretty powerful punchers um montel jackson had a little bit of a disappointing debut in his ufc debut people were riding high on him coming into that fight six and oh coming off of a win on the dana white tuesday night contender series a third round knockout in that fight showed good cardio good power uh really was a promising fight for him and then unfortunately he ran into a brick wall what uh, that is ricky simon in his first fight uh or ricky simone excuse me he has an accent over the o so um you know that the dude's just the tenacious wrestler and he took Jackson down and uh, beat him that way. But I do not think that Brian Kelleher will implement a wrestling game plan. Uh, he really hasn't done that so far in the UFC. He's got a bit of experience, too. He's got some some nice wins. Uh, win over Hennon Burrell, Damian Stajak, Yuri Alcantara, and uh, dropping a couple fights to uh, Marlon Vera and John Linker. He also has a win over Julio Arce. Two wins over Julio Arce. Wins over Andre Sukumtat. You know, the dude has been, uh, Brian Keller has been fighting some, the best of the best in the regionals. You know, I just mentioned uh, three wins over legitimate uh, UFC contenders right now. And, um, you know, so I believe that Kelleher is is the better uh, experienced fighter. Uh, I, if I had to lean one way, I think I would go with Kelleher. I think this is going to be a brawl. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a lot of punches, and um, I think that Kelleher has more experience in that aspect, and he will come out victorious. Uh, we haven't seen Montel's chin ch tested too much, but I think we're definitely going to see it in this fight, and it better be better be good because he's going to need it to withstand those Kelleher uh, shots. So I'm going to pick Kelleher to get this one done, uh, either a decision or possibly a third-round knockout. Next fight in the 145 featherweight division, we have Shane Burgos, who is 10-1, taking on Kurt Hollebach, who is 17-5. Uh, Kurt Hollebach opened up at a plus 250 underdog, and Shane Burgos opened at a minus 300 favorite. Right now, the, lands, the line stands at minus 320 Shane Burgos, plus 260 for Kurt Hollebach. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, that this this line is so wide. I mean, uh, Kurt Hollebach throws throws heat. Uh, Show to Shane Burgos. Again, like this past matchup, both these guys, I think their best aspect are their punches. They're both pretty strong boxers. I would say that uh, Shane Burgos probably has the more overall better MMA game. Uh, I think that he, he uh, really hasn't gotten to show how good he is in the UFC yet. I mean, he, he does have a few nice wins over uh, Charles Rosa and uh, Giudafi Pe Pepper. 
Pepe, excuse me. Uh, but Shane Burgos did lose his last fight via knockout to Calvin, Calvin Cater in the third round. He took a, a 10-month layoff for that and uh, I assume, you know, fixed up any holes in his game. And he's going to be back an even better fighter. Kurt Hallbach, on the other hand, also had a pretty exciting fight with uh, Hani Haoni uh, Barcelos in his last fight. Uh, he lost that fight via knockout in the third round, unfortunately. Just a vicious, vicious knockout that he suffered in that one. Um, his chin was holding pretty strong in that one. He was eating some strong punches from Barcelos. Really, you don't see guys hitting that hard at 145 too often. Um, but uh, you know, Kurt Hallbach is a is a legitimate guy. He has you know he has that nice win over Matt Bissette on the Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series that was overturned because he used an IV. Oh boy, an IV. Uh, get that guy off the roster. Um, you know so. Uh, I think this is going to be a good fight. I think the line is a little bit wide now. I think it's going to be it's going to be uh, closer than the, what the line depicts depicts at plus two uh, sixty for Kurt Hollabach. Um But I'm going to pick Burgos to get this one done, and I think that he does have a good chance at testing that chin of Hollabach and knocking him out in possibly the second or third round. In the next fight, we have in the one fifty five pound lightweight division, Matt Steamroll Frivola. Uh, who is six and one taking on Lando Venata, who is nine three and one? The betting lines open up in this one. Lando Venata minus three hundred favorite to Matt Frivola at plus two fifty. Lando Venata is now minus two sixty five, and Frivola is down to plus two twenty five. So a little bit of action coming in on Frivola's way. Man, I don't, I don't agree with this. You know, uh, I, uh, I looked at this line earlier, and I thought, man, Frivola, I think he got as high as plus two sixty five earlier. I, there was, I, I thought there was a lot of value on Frivola. You know, Venata hasn't really had too much success lately. He. Um, has some t- tough, tough fights. You know, he ran into Drakkar Close, uh, and then he, uh, David Tamer as well, uh, Tony Ferguson. He has not had an easy run in the UFC at all. And the, the only uh, his only win is against John McDessey, who's a pretty legitimate striker. So I think that this fight is going to favor Lando Venata, but he better be ready to throw heat because Frivola comes forward throwing bombs right away. He... You know, he eats a lot of shots, like he ate a lot of shots in his knockout loss to Marco Polo Reyes in his last fight. Man, just got pretty brutally knocked out in that one. Um, so that was, uh, it was pretty shocking to see that his chin his chin didn't hold up at all. It only lasted one minute, and he was rocked in maybe the first 15 seconds of that one, too. So if Venata is ready to come out there and throw heat, then I think that, that Venata will get this one done. If Venata tries to, you know, use like a, a kickboxing style and win on points, it might be a close fight because I think that Favola could, uh, you know, throw some bombs and land on the chin of Venata a little bit and uh, make this fight close. So the pick is going to be Venata, but the line right now is still, I would say, a little bit wide. In the next fight, in the 170-pound welterweight division, we have Lyman Good, who is 19-4, taking on Ben Saunders, who is 22-10-2. We have, uh, oh, they have, uh, the betting site does not, has Sultan Aliyev versus Lyman Good right now, even though Sultan Aliyev was replaced a little while ago due to an injury. We will get that updated line for you right now. Right now we have Lyman Good opened up at minus 273. I don't know what that's about. Ben Saunders at plus 217. And right now Lyman Good is sitting at minus 700 to Ben Saunders at plus 500. 
another fight where I think the line is is wide. I think that Lyman Good should be the favorite, maybe minus three or four hundred, but minus seven hundred, man. The juice era is real. Um, I don't know if I would bet on Ben Saunders' money line. I think Ben Saunders' best chance of getting this fight done would be by submission. I think that um, Lyman Good is a pretty good striker. You know, he had a pretty close fight with uh, Zaleski Dos Santos. Was it Zaleski Dos Santos in his last fight? Or was it one of these other Brazilian motherfuckers? Um, pretty sure it was Zaleski Dos Santos. Um, yes, it was. Um, he had a very close split decision loss to him in his last fight. That fight was, you know, really razor thin. Uh, those guys look I identical, honestly. And they were just, you know, throwing uh, a high output kickboxing match in that fight. Hard to score that one. Um, I think that uh, that's, you know, that's how Lyman Good is going to win this fight. He's going to keep it on the feet. And he's going to, you know, butcher uh, Saunders on the feet, possibly get a finish. Uh, you know, Saunders striking isn't too bad, his wrestling isn't that great, and his jujitsu is pretty good. So I think that if if Saunders gets this fight done, it'll be by submission. I, I bet on the submission line earlier for Saunders, uh, it, it was just so wide. It's still wide, plus 13.35. Like, the, the dude has a slight chance to win this fight. And if he does it at, at all, I think it will be by that submission. So... Plus 1335 is honestly a great, great stab at this fight because, you know, the, where the lines, where the money line stands, it's, it's a, it's very, very wide right now. So I think I would advise, you know, maybe going on a prop. I think that, you know, uh, wow, uh, lineman good by, by knockout is minus 187. You know, it's not like he's shown any crazy power in the UFC yet, right? I mean, dude has, I'm sure a lot of regional knockouts, but I don't, I don't think that he has any knockouts in the UFC. Um, actually, uh, he does. He has one over Andrew Craig. He's uh, uh, one and one in the UFC. Um, you know, he he has a good good amount of uh, uh of regional experience too. He fought in Bellator. He fought a lot of good guys in Bellator. So uh, you know, Lyman Good, I think, will win this fight. But again, betting the lot the lines on this one are wide. The next fight takes place in the 145 pound featherweight division. As Julio Arce, who is 15 and 2, is taking on Shaman Marais, who is 10 and 2. The betting lines for this one: we have Shaman Marais opening up at plus 300 to Julio Arce at minus 360. Shaman Marais is now plus 280, while Julio Arce is minus 340. So a little bit of action coming in on Marais's way. I'm sure there's two-way action on this fight. I'm sure people are trusting Julio Arce as a minus 300 favorite because the dude is certainly legit. He has showed some slick striking in his UFC tenure so far. I believe he is undefeated in the UFC. Uh, Shaman Marais, you know, he's, he's, he's no bum either. He uh, He's a very, very uh, good uh, fighter. He's fought some stiff competition so far, man. He fought... Uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov in his first fight, who, as we all know, is one of the best 145-pound uh, fighters uh, on the roster, uh, certainly one of the best prospects, and um, he lasted with Zabit uh, almost till the bell in that one, around uh, 14 minutes and 30 seconds into the fight, he was tapped out with an anaconda choke, and he also beat Matt Sales in his last fight, Shane Memorias did, he won the first round two rounds of that fight and then uh you know his cardio seemed to fall off a little bit and sales won the th won the third so it was a clear 2-1 for marias um you know julio arce's cardio has looked good he's he's just looked he's just looked really really impressive in there uh, he's beaten uh daniel tamer dan Ige, and also has a win over um 
Peter Petty's in the uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. He's, he was a Ring of Combat champion, who was a very legitimate promotion on the East Coast. Um, and as I mentioned, he has two losses to uh, another fighter fighting on this card, Brian Kelleher. Um, those are his only two losses in his career. So no no shame in those losses there. This is going to be a great fight. I think that Julio Arce will come out victorious in this one. I think that he's just going to be the the more consistent, more accurate striker in this one. Uh, if, if Marias can you know try to ch change levels, I think this one will get interesting. But uh, Arce has pretty good takedown defense. And I think that this one will be contested on the feet. It, it, it could be close in the first two rounds. But I think in the third round, uh, Arce will probably run away with it and uh, win a, a decision or possibly get a late knockout. The next fight takes place in the women's 125 pound flyweight division. We have Sijara Eubanks who is 3 and 2 versus Roxanne Matafari who is 22 and 14. The betting lines opened up in this one. Roxanne Matafari at plus 360 and Sajara Eubanks at minus 450. Sajara Eubanks has been bet down to minus 600, while Roxanne Matafari is up to plus 450. So people are trusting Eubanks all the way down to a 6-1 to one favorite in this one. I think it's a very, uh, very favorable matchup for her. You know, it's a damn shame that Sajara Eubanks was uh, put in this, this uh, bit of a, I guess you could call it a controversy with this uh, UFC 230 main event. If you are unaware, she was uh, briefly linked to a bout with Valentina Shevchenko leading up to this one, and there was uh, outrage over this. Outrage, I want to say. It, after the past two Madison Square Garden shows have been headlined by George St. Pierre and Conor McGregor, you can't have the next one be headlined by Shajara Eubanks, um, a 3-2 and two fighter who, you know, has missed weight at, at 125 pounds before. Um, it's just, you can't do that. Uh, so, uh, luckily, the UFC removed that fight. Yeah, they decided, I, I don't think it was ever, ever, uh, you know, concrete. I think there were just strong speculation and strong rumors about it. I mean, it was very, very widely known that that was going to be the main event for a few days and then all of a sudden they flipped it back so they got Sajara Eubanks this matchup with Roxanne Modafari on this card but it's a damn shame they did that injustice to this girl because she can fight man she she has good pressure she has uh just you know that's what aggression man she she goes in there and looking looking like she wants to win and she wants to do damage and uh, I like girls who fight like that there aren't enough of them and you know, you gotta get you gotta get mean in that cage, and I think a lot of a lot of girls, unfortunately, lack that 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 uh, aggression to uh, really you know knock some bitches out or tap some bitches out. But Eubanks definitely has that. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi is you know uh, no uh, no slouch either. She's been in the she's been in fighting for for decades. She's probably has some of the most uh, fights out of any woman on the roster in 36 professional MMA fights. That's that's just almost unheard of for uh, women's MMA. She's you know a real pioneer. She got a great win in her last fight, a, a TKO uh, with some elbows over Barb Honchak. Uh, she was struggling earlier in uh, in her in her UFC career. Well, she uh, that was her first UFC fight technically because she was on the uh, Dana. She was on the um, uh, 
the ultimate fighter, excuse me. Actually, she did have an official UFC fight against Nico Montano. What happened was Sajara Eubanks missed weight for her fight with Nico Montano, and then Roxanne Matafari filled in on a one uh, one day's notice. And then she uh, stepped up to fight five rounds. She went the full five rounds and lost that fight. But, you know, Roxanne Matafari is no, uh, no, she ain't no bitch, basically is what I'm trying to say. You know, she, she wasn't scared that she had to take a, a fight that was 10 minutes longer with a different girl on one day's notice. She just wanted that crack at the title. Um, I should mention that they these two women have already fought before on the, uh, the Ultimate Fighter and... Sajara Eubanks did win that fight, so uh, that's probably why she's such a big favorite in this one. I see that that's how this fight again goes. It will be Sajara Eubanks getting the W, and I think this one will, uh, will end up going to the, uh, the scorecards. In the next fight, we have Jason Knight, who is 20-5, taking on Jordan Rinaldi, who is 13-6. This fight is taking place in the 145-pound featherweight division and the betting odds opened in this one jordan rinaldi at plus 220 jason knight at minus 260 the line is currently exactly the same and uh it seems like uh action is coming in on rinaldi's way with 59 percent of wagers being placed on him uh you know you get this is a dog or pass fight no no doubt about it um jason knight is a, you know a fading fighter he has some good submissions he used to you know he had a good run in the ufc but it seems like that time is over and he just doesn't have the that fire anymore he's lost three fights in a row i believe two of them were knockouts uh i could i could be wrong um I definitely definitely was knocked out by ricardo lamas and then i believe he mu might have just got his face butchered uh, against uh who is that gentleman? Uh, Gabriel Benitez. Yeah, Gabriel Benitez beat him uh, pretty bad. And uh, Ricardo Lamas did knock him out. Makhlan Amerikami also beat him by split decision uh, only a few months ago back in May. That was a pretty close fight, but, you know, Makhlan is just a great wrestler and was able to take uh, Jason down and... Uh, beat him uh, beat him that way with just pressure and top control uh, Jordan Rinaldi though is you know not very good either it's uh I would I would say this you know I would say stay away from this one even though it's dog or pass even though I think uh, that the you know traditionally almost any warm body in there against Jason Knight at a two to one underdog should uh, be a decent bet but man Rinaldi is just not UFC caliber he, uh, they're giving him, you know, they're throwing him a bone, giving him this one more fight. He, he has fought some pretty stiff competition. Abel Trujillo uh, and Gregor Gillespie both losing to them. He also has one win over Alvo Herrera by Von Flucho, which just, you know, that guy, Alvo Herrera, stinks. Um, especially to get submitted by him. Um, you know, Gregor Gillespie just took him down took Rinaldi down and was just able to beat him beat him bad you know so it's kind of it's kind of got a hard sense to uh to get a a good feel for how good Rinaldi is but it, you just don't get good good uh good vibes watching him you know he does have a, a good amount of uh, regional experience I did not watch those fights so I can't you know fully uh fully endorse him he does have you know five or six losses in the regional circuit though um so uh, it's pretty legit guys though Brian Ortega and uh, Joe Proctor so um, you know R Rinaldi is is, n is not a total bum but I just don't think that either of these guys are, are up to UFC caliber anymore so uh, if I had to lean one way oh man it's gonna be hard uh, 
I guess I guess Rinaldi. So um, you know, if take that as as you will, because he is a two to one underdog, but still have no interest on betting this fight. Uh, this will be a fight where you know you cook you cook dinner during before the main card, or you know you quick run out and grab a coffee or something before the main card. But uh, it's a damn shame this fight is the. Uh, the, the headliner on the prelims to uh, the uh, one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year, or at least it should be one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. So uh, that is going to be all for the prelims, and uh, we're going to be t tuning in with Gary to talk about the UFC 230 main card and have some jujitsu talk at the end. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, this uh, solo rendition of the podcast, and uh, now we're going to be joined by Gary. All right, we are back with on Martian MMA with the main card portion of UFC 230. With me to preview this these five fights, I have my friend Gary with me. Say what's up, man. What's going on, everybody? Uh, Gary is one of my uh, jiu-jitsu coaches at Balance Studios in Philadelphia, and uh, we just finished up a class that he taught, and uh, he was interested in being on the podcast, so we, uh, we linked up, and we're, uh, we're going to talk about the pay-per-view card that is going down this Saturday night from Madison Square Garden in New York City. Uh, we've been used to some pretty stellar cards in New York City. The UFC 205 and UFC 217 both had three title fights on them, and as you know, they were very remarkable cards that went down in history, but but this year, we're kind of left with a bit of an underwhelming card. It was uh, plagued by injuries. But nonetheless, the five main card fights are still some pretty good matchups. And uh, we're going to be talking about them first. And so the first fight on the main card, we have Israel Adesanya taking on Derek Brunson. Israel Adesanya opened up at minus 320. And he is currently sitting, uh, excuse me, he uh, he opened up at a different odds that I don't have up right now. He's currently sitting at minus 320. Fuck. Uh... Let me. Damn, they all went away. I can, I can still get yeah. them up. Um, so uh, Israel Adesanya is currently at minus three twenty. Derek Brunson is at plus two sixty. Israel Adesanya being the big favorite in this one. Uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup, Gary? Um, you know, I think Israel. Uh, I like a lot of his. Uh, I like how he talks on the mic. I think he's very confident in a lot of his fights. Um, I feel. Derek Bronson, Derek Bronson comes in pretty explosive, pretty fast, and he's got that high level. Israel's got that high level kickboxing, and I don't think it's a, it's a very good matchup for uh, Derek Brunson. Um, I see Israel being uh, you know a potential uh, belt holder in the future. Um, you know maybe if the weight classes change, if the 65 edition or a 75 edition, maybe he goes down to 75. Uh, but um, right now, I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to uh, beat um, Bronson. This, this Saturday. Yeah, Israel just keeps shocking me, man. Uh, he, you know, he's coming from that glory kickboxing background. He's been kickboxing his whole life, yep. and he's making this transition to MMA better than a lot of the the one dimensional fighters that we've seen transition. He seems to have his takedown defense on point, and I can't stress enough how genius he is for racking up, you know, eleven uh, or twelve fights outside of the UFC, uh, getting his takedown defense on point, and then transitioning to the UFC. A lot of guys they have a couple fights under their belt, and then they transition to the UFC, and then their skill level is way behind par. Uh, Mackenzie Dern's a perfect example, you know, world class jujitsu, uh, couple fights under her belt, and then she's brought over to the UFC, and she still kind of is really raw. Um, but Israel Adesanya just just uh, really really smart be, uh, move on his coaching uh, on his coaches on uh, on his personal behalf for getting that takedown defense on point. You know he's fought a few wrestlers so far. Um, you know Marvin Vittori not really too good. Um, Mike Wilkinson not too good. But he fought 
Brad Tavares last fight in a, in a tough fight. A lot of people thought that Tavares could uh, pull off the upset in that one, but Israel Adesanya, his cardio held up, and he won in a, a decisive decision uh, all five rounds. So uh, I think that uh, I think that Israel Adesanya will win this one by decision. I see a lot of people favoriting Israel Adesanya by knockout, but I, I just don't think he has that 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 KO power. I mean, he does have 12 of his 14 wins by knockout. But keep in mind, that's over way lower level competition. He has knocked out a few guys with good chins. But I think that he will, he'll know that Brunson has that KO power. He's, he knows that he'll be aggressive. And he'll be confident to you know, just jab and teep and kick his way uh, to a decision in this one. But a uh, great fight to kick off the main card. Totally. Um, next fight on the main card, we have probably, probably one of the worst fights on the card, unfortunately. Uh, Jack Marshman taking on Carl Robertson. The odds for this one, uh, we had Carl Robertson open up at plus 145 and Jack Marshman at minus 185. The lines have totally flipped in this one. Carl Robertson going to the favorite at minus 280. Jack Marshman up to plus 240. So people who got on on the Carl Robertson as an underdog, congratulations to you. Uh, I think he has a pretty favorable matchup in this one. Carl Robertson is a, a, a muscular striker. Uh, he's, you you know, just a, a gifted athlete, while Marshman is kind of a you know a chubbier, a chinny uh, boxer, and um, you know both of their their ground games I think uh, could use a little bit of work. We we've seen uh, both of them lose on the ground recently. Uh, most recently, Carl Robertson took on Caesar Freira and was taken down and just submitted very very easily in that fight. So both of their ground games are pretty weak, and I I, I imagine this one will stay on the feet and there will be a knockout quickly in this one. Uh, what are you thinking about this one? Uh, to be honest with you, I really don't know too much about these guys. Um, I'm surprised they uh, got to the uh, main event slot and a uh, guardian uh, guardian card. Um, but good for them. Yeah, no, no shame on that. I mean, they've been just, they've been on undercards, and like you said, it, it's you know when we we've been thinking about some of the fights that have been the second fights on the main card. We had you know Yoel Romero versus Chris Weidman at UFC 205. And I uh, don't remember who we had at UFC 217, but just really dropping the ball having these guys on the main card. I think that there's even some better fights on the you know the prelims that could uh, you know that you could use a pro, you know have Julio Arce on there or uh, yep Sajara Eubanks, one of these people who ha- is a potential contender. You can start getting them some exposure. But two guys who you know their ceilings I think are kind of low in the UFC. It's a damn shame they're on the main card. So I'll pick uh, Robertson to get the W in this one, but. Uh, not looking forward to too, too much. Uh, next fight on the main card, we had a, a matchup that was a little bit plagued by injury in this one. We have David Branch taking on Jared Cannonier. David Branch opened up at minus 300 in this one. Jared Cannonier at plus 220. And people are still betting uh, Jared, uh, David Branch down to minus 370, while Branch is, uh, or Cannonier is up to plus 310. So uh, this matchup was supposed to be David Branch versus Jacare Souza, which would have just been an amazing fight. Uh, David Branch was calling to fight Jacare. He wanted that matchup he was making call outs on on instagram he actually ordered some some alligator meat to his house in an effort to make a you know a funny video uh pursuing uh jacare to that matchup but unfortunately it gets taken away from him just a real bummer he had that fight earlier this year against yoel romero lined up too and uh that fight was scrapped too so tough year for uh uh, david branch uh what are you thinking about the matchup and uh branch versus cannoneer so I think David Branch is a very is a high level black belt. He's very explosive. He had a great career in uh, other organizations, um, the World Series of Fighting, and um, 
Jared is coming off uh, two losses. I think um, David Branch, you know, is just a, a high-level guy, and um, I'm not 100% sure if he's ready for that kind of uh, skill level yet. Uh, he's a black belt under Henzo Gracie, um, explosive striker. He did have a, lo a loss to Luke Rockhold, but I believe he was winning most of that fight up until the end. Um, you know, David Branch is a legit top contender, and uh, I think he'll take the W for sure in this one. Yeah, uh, another men you mentioned Luke Rockhold. That is uh, who was supposed to be in the co-main event uh, of this of this uh, fight card. I bet you David Branch hates Luke Rockhold because yeah. <laughs> Luke Rockhold was the reason why his uh, or actually I guess uh, Whitaker got hurt in his first fight. That's why he got his Romero fight pulled. Now Rockhold gets hurt and he gets his Jacare fight pulled. So uh, he's I bet you he's pretty bitter towards uh, Rockhold considering he also uh, I believe TKO'd him. I think he, uh, like you said, David Branch was winning the fight uh, on the feet, uh, and then, uh, like you said, he was—he's a black belt. But it just goes to show how good Luke Rockhold's yeah, ground yeah. game is—that he was able to t control a black belt and just dominate him for the TKO in that one. But I—I uh, I imagine this is, like you said, a too—a too big of a step up for uh, Cannoneer in this one. He—he he is a pretty, you know, game fighter. But I think that uh, Branch is just, you know, better in all aspects. Uh, I, I expect this one to be uh, contested a lot on the feet, and you know, Cannoneer coming in on short notice. Uh, you know, I hope his cardio is good because he's going to need it to survive to the decision in this one. But I think Branch will probably get the finish. And in the co-main event, we have Chris Weidman taking on Jacare Souza. Uh, Chris Weidman opened up minus 125 to uh, Jacare at minus 105. People are betting down Chris Weidman pretty pretty significantly, surprisingly. He's down to minus 190, while Jacare is up to plus 165. Man, I think Jacare, as that big of an underdog, might be one of my favorite bets of the card. Um, I do favor Jacare in this matchup. I think this fight it will end up going to the decision. I think it'll be a close, awesome fight. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that Jacare. I mean, we just saw Jacare eat some of Kelvin Gastelum's most uh, best punches. We saw him knock out Jacare, er, uh, knock out Derek Brunson earlier in the year with uh, you know some head kicks, and his striking looked powerful. So whenever you think Jacare has done or and out, uh, you know after he got knocked out by Whitaker, he comes back and he's still very very game. Same with Chris Weidman. After he had a, he suffered a few losses. You know, he had that uh, fight with Musasi. It was, I believe, a, I, don't, I think they called it a TKO yeah, for Musasi. Yeah. But you know, it was a, it was a weird ending to that one. Yeah. He lost to Rockhold, and then I think he had one more loss. Oh yeah, to Romero. Yeah. And then he bounced back and beat Kevin Gaslam in his last fight. So Weidman having a huge layoff. You know, uh, almost 16 months layoff. I think that'll play a factor in this one too. So, what do you think of doing this matchup, Gary? So I'm pretty confident in uh, Jacare winning this matchup. Um, I've always felt Chris Weidman, uh, he's a great fighter, I, but I always felt like he was a top five fighter. I never thought he would crack uh, the championship level. Um, I do believe uh, his first uh, win against Anderson Silva, you know, that was Anderson playing around a lot and he caught him. The second, I don't even know if that's a really solid win, it was an unfortunate injury, uh, followed by, um, did you, who did he fight after? Was it, he, was it Machida? Machida. So yeah. Machida was a legitimate. I, I, I did not think he was going to beat Machida, so I was impressed with his win over Machida. Um, but then he fought Vitor Belfort, and that's when he came off the juice, and he was just not the same kind of uh, Vitor that uh, was normally there. Um, and then, yeah, he had those three rough losses. So um, I'm feeling pretty confident that Jacare is going to take this one. I do believe it will be a decision as well. Um, I mean, Jacare is just a legend in the fight game, the jiu-jitsu game, and... Um, you know, I feel like he's going to uh, definitely have a W over Weidman. I think he's going to win like a unanimous decision over Weidman. 
Yeah, and looking at some of these odds, I mean, there's there's money to be made on this fight right now. Fight goes the distance is uh, at plus money. Uh, I think that's you know great value. I think Jacare by decision is uh, over five to one. There's just some some uh, lines that don't make sense. You know, um, Jacare by submission is more likely than his decision. I, I really I really don't see him submitting uh, a great wrestler like Weidman. Uh, Chris Weidman's TKO uh, is, you know, plus 178. I don't see Weidman having the power to finish uh, Jacare. So the lines the lines are pretty off in this one. And uh, the only chance I think that this fight has at ending with inside the distance is I think Jacare has a chance at knocking him out, man. I think we, we've seen how good and how powerful Jacare's striking is in that Derek Brunson fight, man. He's still got some pop in his hands, and he's still got power in his uh, in his kicks, too. And, uh, you know, if, if Jacare has never really done too well at this, at, at mixing up the takedowns and his striking, you know, he, he's kind of, he, he either does one or the other. He plans to strike or he plans to take you down. But if he is able to, you know, shoot for a few takedowns and get Weidman thinking about his ground game, then I think that'll open up the, the, the striking and then he could possibly score that knockout. But uh, I believe this one will go to decision. And in the main event, the ever-so-awaited uh, UFC 230 main event, there was tons of speculation over what this was going to be. Um, it was uh, it, it could have been Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz, a great fight that was supposed to be on this card. It was rumored that it could be Sajara Eubanks versus Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, that John Jones news got announced right when this main event when needed to be announced, and we thought John Jones could headline it. And out of all of those things, none of them ended up materializing. Uh, Tyron Woodley versus Colby Covington didn't happen. Uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo, none of it happened. But instead, we got the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, taking on Daniel Cormier for the heavyweight championship of the world. I don't think anybody would have guessed this fight You know, with a uh, thousand guesses before it happened. Uh, the betting odds in this one opened up, as you'd expect, Daniel Cormier, a massive, massive favorite at minus 800, while Derek Lewis is plus 575. People, uh, the, the line movement uh, it has gone Derek Lewis's way. He's down to just a five to one underdog, while uh, Cormier is the seven to one favorite. Uh, you know the the odds you know speak for themselves in this one. This is a it's a pretty big mismatch. It's it's a you know I kind of like the fact that the UFC gave the title shot to Derek Lewis. He he certainly earned it. He's you know like nine and one in his past ten. He had that incredible comeback at UFC 229. That was probably the UFC's most watched card ever. So I completely understand the decision behind it. You know it's 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 a little bit questionable considering that Derek Lewis was medically suspended until I believe November like eighth or tenth. And then all of a sudden they need this main event, and then Nevada went back and they made his suspension to August or to October thirtieth, uh, making him eligible for this fight. So there's a little bit of like manipulation and trickery going on. Uh, I think that Derek Lewis ate a lot of punches in that Eric Alexander Volkov fight, and he's probably you know uh, you know it's probably not healthy for him to be taking this fight. But regardless, they needed a main event, and this this is certainly uh, they're they're riding the popularity of Derek Lewis coming off that that my balls was hot interview so uh how do you think this fight plays out so i believe um i don't really see a reality that Derek lewis wins uh big Derek lewis fan you know um it's pretty remarkable with someone with his skill set that he's been able to get a title shot he's no high level muay thai he's no level high level jujitsu like he said he's a brawler and for him to be a one-trick pony and get to a title shot that's pretty impressive so i don't want to count him out completely but DC's the double champ for a reason. He's dominant. He's 
you know, he's been in the Olympics. He's he's fought some of the greatest of all times. He's, he's destroyed legends. Um, you know, I just I, I really believe that um, Derek Lewis doesn't have a big chance, but you can't count him out. He's got some crazy knockout power. We just see in his last fight, you know, last ten seconds of the the fight, he comes back and knocks him out. So, I, but I do believe DC will take him seriously. I don't think DC will sleep on him, but I do believe I could see DC winning with a submission in the second or third round. Yeah, I think that's what, right around when until either either a submission or you know some extremely dominant position like the mounted crucifix he got in the Vulcan yeah. Vulcan Ozdemir fight or uh, you know just, possibly just full mount something like that full back mount and just pounding him out with strikes. Uh, I, I wouldn't put any money on anything in this fight. There is just too many variables. You know, Der- Daniel Cormier's hand is not uh, at a hundred percent. Allegedly, he said that he couldn't fight at the UFC 230 main event because his hand was hurting. And then all, a couple weeks later, they offered him this fight. They must have offered him a bigger paycheck. And then he said, okay, I'll do it. Like I mentioned, Derek Lewis taking those, uh, you know, something like 70 strikes to the head uh, in on October 6th. And this fight goes down 28 days after that. So just not enough time for him to recover his, his cranium. Uh, you know, so I think that this fight is... It, it, and like you said, there's, there's just something about Derek Lewis that... Uh, that's peculiar. I saw some guy. He was at. He was advising everyone. He said, "Hey, I know Volkov should win this fight, but I don't put your money on it. There is something about Derek Lewis. There is some entity that is guiding him to a title shot. There's something that makes him dig deep in the third round or the fifth round or you know whatever it is and come back and get that win after losing the entire fight. Very few guys can do that." And uh, de- there's just something special about Derek Lewis, and you know, even though this matchup is is you know very very unfavorable for him, it wouldn't be the craziest uh, the craziest comeback of Derek Lewis's career. So Derek Lewis was you know uh, an eight plus eight sixty three in the third round against Volkov, you know, so over an eight to one underdog, and that didn't that didn't stop him now. So being a five to one underdog is, is nothing to Derek Lewis. Um, so this card, uh, you know, it, it had a lot of injuries. It, it, it uh, you know, came together all right in the end. But, uh, you know, that being said, I'm still looking forward to Saturday nights. Should be some good fights. Uh, there's a, probably a better undercard than main card in this one. But uh, uh, with that being said, we're going we're gonna to transition to uh, a little jujitsu conversation. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, we were just finishing up jujitsu class. And we're, we're big fans of jujitsu ourselves. So uh, I have a few questions for Gary. Um, Gary is a purple belt uh, at Balance Studios. And uh, so uh, one of my first questions is, how long have you been ju- doing jujitsu? And uh, have you been training at Balance the entire time? So... <clears throat> I started I started jujitsu when I was twelve years old. <clears throat> Sorry, when I was twelve years old. So um, I've been doing it for coming up thirteen years now. So um, thank you. Um, so thirteen years. <clears throat> I started at um, Bill Stevens Karate, which is in uh, North Jersey, which is now uh, connected BJJ. Um, I went to school in New York City for a little while, so I trained at a school called. Um, Square Circle Muay Thai. Um, it was a Muay Thai school, but they did have a jiu-jitsu program there that I attended. And then um, once I moved to Philadelphia, I've been training at um, a school in the Northeast, but primarily um, Balance Studios. So um, 13 years, um, and I've been at Balance now for about three years. Did, were you a, uh, a green belt when you started uh, as a teenager? So I started as a white belt, and then um, I started, because I started so long ago, my instructor was only uh, a brown belt. 
Um, so we did the belts kind of like the karate way. So I started with a white belt and I went to the yellow belt and then an orange belt. And then a couple days after my 16th birthday, um, cause you need to be at least 16 to get a blue belt. Uh, I got my blue belt from, and, um, from there I went to college. So there was a in-between time where I wasn't really at a gym too long. Um, but then I got my purple belt about a year and a half ago from Phil and Rick McGlarese. Nice. So uh, all, t- all together, if you had to like consolidate the, the total time you've been training without breaks and everything, how long would you say about uh, without? I mean, you, the longest I ever took off was when I had um, a shoulder surgery. I tore my labrum in uh, 2012. It was a jiu-jitsu related injury, of course. Um, so I was about, I didn't train for about six months then. Uh, so that was the longest I haven't trained. Uh, even when I was in college and I didn't necessarily have a uh, school to train at, uh, me and my buddy found a way. We found some mats in the gymnasium, and we would just roll around. So I've been consistently training for about coming up 13 years now. Nice. So this next question might be a little bit hard for you to remember, but uh, the question is, uh, what is the biggest difference between your life before and after you started training? So uh, initially when I started training, I wasn't too great of an athlete, and I don't think I'm too great of an athlete now, but I do believe through jiu-jitsu I learned just – Put it in the hours and put it in the hard work. Um, you know, it's a lot of just drilling and practicing and just showing up to class. So um, yeah, I'd say I learned. I learned definitely how to be consistent. I learned uh, how to uh, you know train hard. So my life before then, I wasn't really. I didn't really know. I mean, it was so long ago. I was only twelve. I didn't really know. All my friends were playing sports, hockey, baseball, football, and I didn't really have anything that I cared about too much until I started um, training jiu-jitsu. So um, I guess it gave me some sort of a direction, something I'd like to do. Yeah, there, I mean, the, the benefits, you know, you could go on forever and ever, not only like personal qualities, but physical ones, you know, getting in shape, you know, learning respect, learning communication skills, uh, totally. t- teaching skills, you know, you uh you're, uh, you know, trying to be a teacher yourself and, you know, you're, you're probably uh, getting, you know, a ton of experience, you know, teaching in class. Uh, I even heard Joe Rogan talk about this on his podcast recently. He said, I had crazy, you know, uh, anxiety and I never spoke in front of people anymore, but I was good at martial arts. And then I started coaching martial arts and all of a sudden I was good at speaking because I was teaching something I was confident in. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, it's 13 years ago, it's probably a little bit hard to remember what your life was like, but it just gives you, a, it gives, you know, a structure to your life. It's every night, you know, six or seven o'clock, I got, I got something to do. I got, you know, one of the best environments in the world to go be around. And uh, something special about jujitsu is I think it's one of the few environments you go to when every single person there, like, wants to be there. You know, you go to... Uh, a class, a job, a DMV, any anywhere. Majority of the people probably don't even want to be there, and that results in an environment where everyone's, you know, not talking or miserable or on their phones or you know, head in a computer or something like that. But you know, jujitsu, everyone wants to be there to better themselves. It, it might be one of it's probably one of the best times of the day for everyone who's on the mat. So it's just you know, just an incredible learning environment, and you know, you just learn so much information and become friends with so many people it's really uh it's really an incredible thing that i i wish i could recommend to more people yeah yeah um yeah like all my friends train um some of my best friends i've choked them so they've choked me it's a very interesting relationship when you're uh with your jiu-jitsu buddies because um it's closer than a friendship because you're trusting somebody that they won't you know break your arm or you know choke you out so it builds a good bond um so i really appreciate that a lot about jiu-jitsu just the camaraderie yeah 
I mean, I have a list in, a list on my phone of just, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 people I'd, I, I've met. I barely know, if I look at the list of the names, I barely know who a lot of them are, but, you know, just, just you meet just dozens and dozens of people a week uh, that, you know, can become, you already have uh, a huge thing in common with them, and all of a sudden, it's, oh, you watch UFC too, oh, you watch Joe Rogan too, all of a sudden, you could talk about shit for hours. Yeah. So um, one uh, one thing that we talked about a few weeks ago uh, on the mats, you you said you had a few uh, unique stories about um, having to utilize your jujitsu in real life as you know as sort of a self defense technique and a lot you know in the beginner stages of jujitsu a lot you're not you're not learning crazy sport jujitsu like barambolos or heel hooks or ashigarami or anything you're learning how to defend you know from a sucker punch how to defend from someone grabbing you behind or grabbing your collar or grabbing something like that so. Uh, the beginning stages of jiu-jitsu are super self-defense oriented, and um, so, but so uh, you've had some experience uh, using some of those techniques. Uh, so tell us about some of those stories. So yeah, um, there's been a couple of situations um, that I've had to use my jiu-jitsu. Uh, you know, being in a major city, going out with your friends. There's a lot of you know people are drunk. There's you know people are stupid. Um, so there's been a couple of situations where I've had to use my jiu-jitsu. Um, there's one situation where I was, uh, I was in uh, upstate New York and, um, someone was trying to rob my friends and I, um, so I just, you know, quickly locked in like a rear naked choke, um, and, you know, you just put someone to sleep and, um, you just walk away, uh, no harm, no foul. I put him to sleep, we, we walked away, he, he, I locked, looked at him getting up, he looked around and that was it. Um, no one was hurt, everything was fine, you know, sometimes when you're throwing punches, you can break your hand, you can get cut. But, you know, quick choke, and then it's just uh, over, no, no harm, no foul. Um, then another situation I've been in, you know, just using basic headlock defense. Someone was over at a bar, and then someone, uh, I was outside the bar, and someone just put me in a headlock uh, for no reason, really. Um, so I just used, you know, the Gracie 101, basic self-defense, and I was able to get out of the headlock and just get out of there, and everything was fine. So um, definitely the basics of jiu-jitsu at the beginning are very self-defense oriented, but it's it's extremely important. Um, and I think some people are really into sport jiu-jitsu and sport jiu-jitsu is very cool. I agree, barren ball is awesome. Heel hooks are sweet, you know, twister is really cool. But, um, you know, the reason we have jiu-jitsu is for, you know, self-defense, to protect the smaller person from someone larger. Um, so I, I think that it's, yeah, a lot of self-defense in the beginning part, which is, I think is great. After the dude headlocked you, did you just did you let him go, or did you uh So, from the, from the headlock, um, I just, uh, it's like uh, one of the first things you learn in Gracie 101, the headlock defense, so I just, uh, he threw me in a headlock, I sidestepped, I squatted down, I picked him up and just threw him on the ground, and that's all you need. I hopped in the cab and got away, you know? There's no reason to continue there, I was out of the headlock, and, um, you know, he might be a little bruised up the next morning, but... He was fine, you know, and uh, because of my jujitsu, I understood the move and the situation. So I wasn't going to pick him up and throw him down as hard as I could. I don't want to seriously injure somebody. I just wanted to get out of the situation. So I, through my jujitsu, I know my strength, I know my power. So I just did enough to get out of it and then just get out of the situation, which you always want from any self-defense situation. Yeah, you, you could have hurt him a lot worse, for sure. Oh, totally. yeah, yeah. You see a lot of people, they, they, they're in a street fight, and they, they knock someone down, and they just go off for, uh, you know, a, like a soccer kick to the face. Oh, and yeah. I mean, you, 
like that's just you know you're you're waiting for like a, a case to happen at totally, that point you know totally. if you if someone defend, you know, attacks you you quick drop them and walk away nothing bad's happening to you but you know you go up and falcon punch someone when their face is already on the ground you know you could you could be uh, facing some some criminal charges I mean you're you're probably gonna significantly injure the person too so totally. you, you know you know like you're, like you said know your strength you know your abilities you know just just how hard to slam a person and get away and then the the rear naked choke uh, did you that was just standing it wasn't uh, yeah, it's just standing rear naked choke. You know, if someone doesn't really know jujitsu, it's um, it's very easy to hit any sort of move on them, and the rear naked choke is one of the easier moves to learn. Um, but if you if you haven't trained a day in your life, you you, you don't really know how to defend it. Um, so it's very easy uh, to hit on somebody who's uh, unaware of the move itself. Yeah. Yeah, you can p- put someone out in th- three five seconds. You know, totally. Sure. And yeah. uh, you know. If you're, uh, it would probably be better to do it standing too, so you don't have to, you know, go on your back when you're on the ground and risk getting, you know, your back cut up on the yes, gravel yes. or by, you know, hair on needles in North Philadelphia <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But um, one thing you mentioned is, uh, you know, we were talking about sport jiu-jitsu a little bit, and uh, I know I know you're into uh, watching, you know, professional jiu-jitsu. So uh, the, we've seen a lot of uh, new formats been coming out in professional jiu-jitsu in the past couple of years. Uh, Eddie Bravo has really popularized his EBI rules, which you know prevent boring matches. They prevent uh, they prevent points and they prevent um, uh, ties. So in order instead, if a, a match goes the ten minute. Um, uh, you know, time limit. Then uh, Eddie Bravo designed these uh, special attack positions in overtime. So you're on the person's back, or you have them in an armbar, you have them in mount, and all of a sudden, it, after that 10 minutes, it's not just a tie, and both guys, you know, walk away with a, a tie, or one guy wins on points. You actually get to see this elimination style round. So that's been really popular. We've seen the rise of combat jujitsu, another Eddie Bravo idea, I believe, and. Um, uh, all different types of promotions. We have Kasai grappling coming out, and most most uh, new, newly was qu- the Quintet competition. So, uh, out of all those uh, that I mentioned, and maybe either other ones, you know, ADCC or IBJJF, what, what are you thinking about like the the future of uh, uh, sport jujitsu, and what do you see in bright spots in jujitsu right now? So uh, the Quintet was really cool. I was uh, really looking forward to it. I heard about it on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, and then uh, when I watched it on, the, on TV, it was really interesting. I was very fast-paced. I like how there wasn't necessarily weight classes. I enjoyed that there was, um, you know, you had four or five guys in your team below X amount of weight. And then if you won the match, you continued. So I thought it was really uh, exciting to watch. Um, I mean, I love watching all sorts of jiu-jitsu competitions, but I do understand it's kind of boring to sometimes watch. And, IBJJF match or you know even sometimes the uh, Eddie Bravo's uh, the EBI rules sometimes those matches can be boring for someone who doesn't you know necessarily watch combat sports you know if you if you I don't really watch football but when I watch a football game on TV it's entertaining it's fast paced I can enjoy it um, but, you know when I'm watching golf I don't really understand the sport it's not exciting to me so I felt like that was a problem with a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments before EBI came out. EBI made it a little more interesting, and I feel like there's a couple more tweaks now to make it, uh, like the quintet you said, uh, I believe the quintet, in my opinion, I believe the quintet is the, the best format for a tournament currently. So I would like to see more quintet-type uh, tournaments, and I, I believe, and from other practitioners I've talked to, um, the quintet is uh, potentially going to be like the, the main format, just 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 because of how exciting it was, and 
Um, I had people I was with that didn't even train, and they were able to enjoy it and watch it. So I think the quintet's going to be really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a great sport for people who enjoy it, but it, it I understand the, how it could be boring, uh, especially when the people are the same weight or the same skill. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of stalemate matches where there's positions that are very very complicated, and the average person just simply won't understand them. But when you add in this this tournament, this team tournament, when you can potentially have a a one 145 pound guy going against a 210 pound guy it adds that you know that little bit of a freak show aspect to it you know like kind of like the original ufc's and the people are different weights and you see them compete and they win and then you wait a little bit and you see them compete again again it, it really gets the excitement up i i am 100 sure the ufc would not have worked if there wasn't a, a, a the same night tournament uh type of uh you know formatting to the event uh the re the reason why those those were so successful is because you saw hoist win and you saw him come out again and win and you saw him come out again and win so uh you know i really think that that, that tournament style is just uh, really genius um I, I hear you know eddie talking about all the time how we can get you or uh, jiu-jitsu on tv he says you know there's fly fishing on tv there's golf on tv there's everything on tv why can't we have jiu-jitsu on tv it's a good point you know there is a lot of boring stuff on tv but as far as getting jujitsu on, on TV, I, I think it, it's going to be a tough task. I mean, even even with the quintet and how exciting it is and all of the, the great things that it has going for it, I still think it's a little too complex for just the average, you know, person flipping through channels to to uh, understand, unfortunately. You know, uh, there's a lot of morons out there, you know, watching NASCAR and the Real Housewives, but... I just don't think the demand is going to be there for uh, jujitsu on television. But I mean, uh, the, you know, we have flow grappling. People are paying, you know, thirty bucks a month to see that, to see jujitsu and MMA and wrestling. They have they're paying for UFC Fight Pass to see these events like Quintet and EBI. So there's still a lot of money to be made in jujitsu. You know, a lot of there's a uh, you know there, like we were mentioned rattling off brand, uh, promotions for you know fight to win and all these p people. There people are selling tickets. Jujitsu is being uh, becoming really really popular uh, for you know in this niche group of people and uh, there's money to be made so it's uh you know there's there's money to be made in uh, in tournaments and low level competitions but unfortunately in the, the grand scheme of things I don't I do not see it ended up getting on you know ESPN or anything like that but um that doesn't mean that doesn't mean this the the, the sport is uh, you know at a, a stalemate it's uh, it just necessarily means that they need to keep uh, they need to keep working with this niche group they have and keep doing uh, creating of ideas like they are doing currently um so uh one of my last questions was uh so um uh so if if a hundred people walk into a jujitsu school let's say they sign up not just walk into uh how many how, what percentage of them stop at white belt what percentage of them get to blue belt purple and so forth so um i'd say a majority of people maybe i want to say maybe half will continue white belt i mean some people just sign up for some basic self-defense and after they learn it you know that's all they need and that's fine you know you don't have to it's each their own um you know some people just do it for the workouts they start getting in shape makes them feel a little better and then they fall off so i'd say about 50 percent stick with uh the white belt and then after that to the the blue belt once people get blue belt you start seeing people drop off all the time it's like the the, the blue belt curse when one gets a blue belt you never see them again because you know you hit the first level you've accomplished something and then you know you feel really good, but you're still so far from that ultimate goal. So after blue belt, I don't know, maybe you've lost that 50%, maybe you're gonna lose 
another 25, certainly down to 25%. And then uh, when you get to purple, brown, and black, the numbers just start to fade, you know. Um, you know, if you put in the hours to get to a purple belt and there's injuries, you know, life gets in the way. Um, but if you're really committed, you can definitely go on. But if I, if I have to say the people that start from white belt to black belt all the way through, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 4%. Um, you know, it's very, very small numbers, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I, I mean, uh, I, the blue belt blues, you mentioned that. I, I, I can't understand the mentality behind that. Someone who puts in... Yeah. 12 months, 18 months, two years into jiu-jitsu, they finally get this, you know, pro, uh, this great accomplishment, and then all of a sudden they decide to stop showing up. It's it, it's just such a waste, you know. Uh, I, I mean, if a person signs up for jiu-jitsu, they do a couple of classes, and then, you know, they're, they're, it doesn't work with their schedule, or they didn't like it as much as they thought. I understand that, you know. It's definitely not for everybody, but if you put in the work to get a blue belt, and, you're, and for some reason you just quit, man, that's some weak shit right there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my estimations I think I might be even lower than yours. Yeah, uh, maybe like maybe high. <laughs> maybe, maybe tw- I would say twenty out of a hundred maybe get blue belt, and then maybe ten uh, get purple, maybe five get brown, and maybe two or three get black. Yeah. It's uh you know so it's you if you want uh, if you want to walk in and you have someone uh, uh, to in a jujitsu school and they're already thinking they want to be a black belt when they're a white belt that that person right there is worth you know investing their time and that's worth you know you know giving a couple extra tips and you know you know philosophizing about jujitsu giving you know advice and everything like that because if they have that hunger at such a, a young stage in their career then that person uh, that's that's what you need man because uh, you know there's only one thing that will get you your black belt and that is if you keep coming if you come to jiu-jitsu you know 2500 times you're going to get your black belt it's 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 you know uh it's just going to happen you're going to get better and uh you know it's unfortunate that so many people fall off um i mean if if we have if we if the question goes if 100 people walk into a school how many of them sign up i think it's maybe 50 percent, maybe less than 50 percent. i mean a lot of a lot of people come into class and they hear about, you know, a self-defense class or something like that, and then they maybe do, you know, they try out one or two classes, and they, 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 they don't come back. Um, unfortunate, but, uh, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu in America is fairly expensive. I, I think that is definitely, like, a big aspect. You know, people want to, oh, I want to learn how to defend myself. I'll try out this school, and then they're like, a hundred and some dollars a month, you know, yeah. oh, shit, my, my Planet Fitness costs $25. I think I'll just keep going there, you know. So it's it's tough, but um, uh, and then here comes my uh, my last question. And uh, what would be your uh, ultimate uh, jujitsu and uh, possibly uh, like MMA goals? Because I know you mentioned that you competed in kickboxing a few times. So uh, do you have any aspect or any aspiration to you know try uh, amateur MMA at some point? And uh, what what are your um, goals for competing in jujitsu and your uh, goals for you know just all throughout jujitsu? So I would definitely like to be able to make money off jiu-jitsu, whether that be competing or owning a gym at one point. Um, I would really enjoy to uh, make some money doing jiu-jitsu. Like you mentioned before, the fight to win. You know, you don't make that much money, but it's, it's, it's cool to make money off something you enjoy. It's, it's, it's a cool feeling to, you know, it's, it's like you're a fighter. You're officially a fighter. You've got a paid check for, for competing. So, um, yeah, I'd like to compete more. I'd like to, uh, eventually I'd like to open a school. Um, I do have interest in doing MMA, but I would like to get my uh, black belt before I do MMA. Um, you know, I guess as an amateur black belt, it's not really that fair, but uh, I just am more curious just to see how my jiu-jitsu will hold up against some, like a legitimate striker. Um, I don't really have any interest of 
being a champion or pursuing this as a career, I just solely would like to have some MMA matches just to see how my jiu-jitsu stacks up against somebody who's trained. Like we mentioned before, I know how my jiu-jitsu stacks up to somebody in a self-defense situation, but I'm just curious for myself to see how jiu-jitsu would work against, my jiu-jitsu would work against uh, someone who legitimately knows striking. Um, so yeah, I'd like to have a couple amateur MMA fights, see how that goes. Um, you know, obviously get my black belt, and then um, I'd like to compete for in some, some tournaments for some money. Um, so that that would that, that would be the ideal situation for me. Nice. Yeah, you mentioned like opening up a studio. I mean, that I, we we uh, sitting at Balance Studios right now. We we see the work of uh, Phil and Ricardo Miglarese. You know, the guys who just put in the hours grinding uh, for the past you know a few decades of their yeah. lives. But uh, you know they, they competed hard, they trained hard, and now they're they're living large. You know, with the, they have you know they're obviously not living in luxury life. They still they're still in the gym all the time. They're still coaching all the time. They're still working hard and expanding balance. But they put their their hard work in the past is you know setting them up for the future, and that just seems seems like a dream, honestly. Um, you know, we're, I guess we're sort of on the same page with hoping to hoping to op- open up a school in the future. And, you know, with uh, you being probably one of the youngest teachers at Balance Studios, I mean, it seems like you already got a great start, uh, you know, got your foot in the door, uh, racking up experience. And then after, uh, you know, all, all you need is a black belt, a little bit of experience, and, you know, you can open up your own school and uh, start gaining a client base and, you know, making, making uh, a living off of uh, this passion that we've been having for so long. So uh, you mentioned that uh, you're going to be moving soon. Uh, you're going to be moving to Houston. Do you, do you have any idea of what, what gym you're going to be training so at? So I have been looking at a couple gyms. Um, there is a gym, uh, Pablo Silva, which is in um, the Inner Loop in Houston. Um, I think I'm going to be checking that out. Um, he's a pretty accomplished grappler. And um, his school looks like the AOJ school, so that's pretty cool. And um, he's, uh, I think he's the featherweight uh, black belt uh, belt holder for the fight to win. Um, so he's, he's, he's a, he's pretty talented. I've watched some of his videos. So I'm thinking there, but you know, I got to try a couple things out. Uh, you know, I wish there was a balance down there, but you know, can't have everything. Yeah. You'll probably have to go down and, you know, check out a few gyms, see, totally. see, see what's the best fit, the best environment, yeah. make sure there's no crazy rules at any of them. Yeah. But um, yeah, well, it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. I uh, I wish you luck in in the uh, in the move. It's a damn shame that you're gonna be leaving. Uh, you know, we just started to become closer friends, and you know, uh, you know, you just started to coaching a lot more consistently. So it's a shame that has to come to an end. But I'm sure that you're making the the move for you know a, a better decision in your career and your life. So I wish you luck with that, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Totally, thanks a lot, man. It was a lot of fun. All right, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed my talk with Gary. I hope you enjoyed the jiu-jitsu talk. If you are interested in hearing some more about jiu-jitsu, then just reach out to me on Twitter at UFO UFC. And thank you all for tuning into the podcast, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace.